Hey, guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Might I recommend, now that your young person has walked across that stage, you get them over to Leon Tailoring, get them to their career services division. That's right. In this economy, even though jobs are plentiful, it won't help you if you don't look the part. So at Leon Tailoring Career Services Division, they got the perfect thing that your young man or young lady needs to get them off into the world of work and at very reasonable and affordable prices. And heck, who knows? You might even see something for yourself if you're looking for a new job. So swing on by Leon Tailoring, their career services division, Larry Norm, Kim, and Judy, always glad to help you out. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Well, thank you, Jay. Uh, grateful for the opportunity to visit with all of you. I will not be giving uh, blessedly a long monologue here, but uh, suffice it to say it's been a great uh, week for our Senate office, uh, a great week for the state of Indiana, and uh, a great week for the United States of America with respect to investment in key 21st century national security technologies uh, and securing our uh, national supply chain. Uh, very proud of all the hard work that uh, went into this by so many people on my team uh, throughout the state of Indiana and, and well beyond. And, and uh, this is uh, a piece of legislation soon to be a law that will pay dividends for uh, the current generation uh, of Americans and, and uh, successive generations. So uh, there are many people uh, who run for public office and never have or make uh, an opportunity to uh, accomplish something like this. And I'm just so proud of, of, of everyone who uh, together uh, set aside principal disagreements uh, and, and uh, found some area for common ground during what are otherwise tribalistic politics. Uh, hopefully in the course of getting this meaningful legislation passed, we can, uh, we can reassure people that Congress uh, and specifically the U.S. Senate can do hard things uh, even during a difficult time. So with that, uh, I'm going to open it up for questions on that matter or other current events. And, and I just thank all of you for tuning in. I know a number of you have uh, uh, had been up, you know, very late uh, over at the state house or uh, attending to those matters. Uh, I too have been uh, trying to maximize my efficiency on behalf of the people of Indiana, and, and woke up early this morning and went to the state fair. And so you'll uh, you'll pardon my informality uh, with the Indiana pork breakfast shirt on, but uh, happy to be with all of you. All right, let's start with Eric Berman. There's the unmute. Hi, Senator. Um, I was I was struck by a quote in the run-up to this vote from uh, Senator Cantwell, who said that uh, some of the classified information that senators viewed about China uh, changed some minds, that people recognized more of a threat than they had previously been aware of. I realize the nature of that limits how specific you can get, but we know China is an adversary. What kind of information is out there that shifts the uh, the ground in that regard? Sure, at, at, at the highest of levels, uh, I, I can answer that question. Um, one of the things that many of my colleagues uh, had not previously heard, but it was very important that they hear, was uh, the increasing sophistication of the Chinese government and, and more broadly on their technologists in developing 21st century national security technologies. As has been reported over a year ago, uh, China 
leads the United States in the advancement of hypersonic technology. Uh, this is uh, technology that allows uh, projectiles to travel at five times uh, the speed of sound, carrying nuclear projectiles and, and uh, evading our, our current uh, missile defense systems. China leads the United States in that field. China is developing semiconductors, just been publicly reported, down to the seven nanometer uh, level. These are the sort of sophisticated chips that go into our missile and radar systems and um, so many of our, our top weapons platforms. China's making inroads as, as uh, it relates to the development of quantum uh, computers. Uh, uh, quantum computers is, is, is uh, uh, quantum physics is a field of science uh, that uh, allows one to uh, harness those, uh, those research developments to come up with um, ways to move packets of data at ever more rapid speeds. And the reason it's important is, is our cryptologists use quantum computing uh, to scramble uh, our nation's secrets. We also, conversely, will, will use these very fast computers to try and uh, discover the secrets of our adversaries. And, and so if China is able to come up with faster computers than the United States, and they're making rapid advances in this field, uh, they could conceivably, for example, find out where our, our nuclear uh, missile submarines are at any given moment. So it's, it's this sort of information when presented to members of Congress that, of course, focuses the minds. I think most of my colleagues had already heard about the idling of automobile plants like uh, occurred in general, at General Motors twice already this year and, and the vulnerability of our broader economy to interruptions in, in the supply chain. Uh, but all of that news pertained to commodity chips, those chips that go into things from automobiles to cell phones. It's the really high-end chips uh, uh, that we are almost 100% dependent on uh, Taiwan, South Korea, to some extent on, on, on China, that go into our missile systems uh, where we need to up, game, uh, uh, up our game more significantly. We need a trusted, secure supply of microchips Crane happens to be uh, one of the go-to centers nationally for that Crane Naval Base. Uh, we also need to be designing, uh, uh, developing, uh, and, and manufacturing the next generation of chips. All of the things I just discussed, incidentally, from the research to and development to the design and manufacture, uh, will be advanced. Uh, through this legislation, not just of semiconductors, though, frankly, uh, we all know that's gotten most of the attention. And in the near term, we'll see amazing economic opportunities for Hoosiers and others across the heartland as it relates to that technology uh, uh, vertical. Uh, but uh, this is a much broader initiative. And um, uh, Senator Schumer and I communicated that when we first introduced our so-called endless frontiers legislation uh, well over a, a year ago. Okay, yeah, Abdul. There we go. Uh, morning, Senator, always good to see you, old friend. Uh, 
Weird question for you. Uh, Senator Schumer has introduced legislation that would uh, basically decriminalize, legalize marijuana. Where are you on that issue? Because it seems like uh, I remember you made a statement a while, a couple years ago, but seemed, seemed a little bit unclear. So where are you on that whole legalization, decriminalization issue of marijuana? Yeah, I think further research is needed in this area. There's been a great apprehension among many uh, at the federal level to uh, investing in that research to ensure under what circumstances uh, we can responsibly prescribe marijuana for medicinal purposes and to better understand, frankly, the impact that recreational marijuana use will, will have on, on rank and file Americans. Uh, I've co-sponsored legislation put forward by my colleague, Dan Sullivan, to invest in this uh, sort of research. I'm troubled though by, by some of the uh, reporting we've seen, and this has been uh, in, in the popular press, uh, uh, about uh, the, the effects THC at very high levels uh, can, can have on uh, individuals. I recognize a lot of people say they get relief from marijuana, but on the other hand, uh, this, this proneness to violence and, and uh, uh, other health challenges that we've heard about recently, I think the New York Times reported on this within the last couple of months, uh, creates creates uh, some some real concerns, which is why we ought to research it before we start making bold changes uh, at the federal level. In the meanwhile, I do recognize the states uh, through our, our laboratories of democracy have already legislated some in this space. And uh, to the extent you have Indiana businesses uh, or individuals who are engaged in that stream of commerce, at the federal level, it's our responsibility to create some certainty around the law. So I think banking uh, should be allowed to take monies or earn through those streams of commerce and, and, and put it in their financial institution. So those are some of my thoughts. Thank you for the question. All right, Caitlin with the star. Morning, Senator. Um, can you talk a little bit about the sort of political or people maneuvering you had to do in the last couple of weeks of this in order to convince your colleagues, um, you know, the Republican colleagues to vote for this and also to get more of what you wanted in the final product? Um, and then also, were there times that you thought this bill wouldn't pass? Yeah. Well, Caitlin, thank you for the question. Um, there it really was a dramatic last couple of weeks uh, in, in, in so many respects. Uh, I do Before I uh, answer that, I, I want to emphasize this was an overnight success story, you know, five years in the making. <laughs> there was a lot of work required uh, to develop subject matter expertise in this area, uh, identify the optimal policies that needed to be advanced, develop coalitions on the inside and, and uh, uh, as well as outside of uh, uh, Congress and uh, just uh, a lot of teamwork uh, required. But with that said, uh, after we passed the Endless Frontier Act without a lot of, frankly, fanfare or great controversy uh, a year plus ago, Senator Schumer and Washington Democrats demonstrated this was not a high priority, priority of theirs as compared to a partisan reconciliation bill. That's why the Endless Frontier Act sat on a shelf for the better part of a year as you know, Senator Schumer uh, attempted to persuade 
Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema uh, to come their way on a Build Back Better initiative. When it appeared that this partisan initiative uh, was not going to be possible, it uh, we, we were able to breathe new life back in, into this effort. I approached Senator Schumer. I said, it looks like you're getting nowhere in a hurry as it relates to Build Back Better. Let's give this thing another run. He in turn huddled, huddled up with uh, Speaker Pelosi and the administration. Uh, they all agreed they needed to get a win. And I told them the only way we would get a win is if the conference report being negotiated between the House, a very partisan bill, and in the Senate, a bipartisan bill, in the end resembled the Senate product. We weren't going to get any Republican support if, if we had um, a, a Green New Deal slush fund as, as, as part of our uh, U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. They agreed. They agreed. They wanted a win. We had a lot of leverage. Uh, I, I did not let up in, on my insistence that we weren't going to make major concessions to the Democrats. Everything was going very well. Frankly, we were uh, less than a week from closing out the entire conference negotiations. Uh, the old how a bill becomes a, a law process for the first time in, frankly, decades was going to be utilized, and we're going to demonstrate that it was going to work elegantly and you know, on an issue uh, that is not addressed on a re recurring basis. So this was really uh, historic in terms of the process. And then Senator McConnell uh, did what leaders do uh, in the legislative chamber, which is tried to use every bit of perceived leverage to stop the other side from uh, advancing their partisan agenda. So he, um, he said, you will not be getting Republican support, since 60 votes are needed, to advance that uh, CHIPS bill, which had Senator Schumer's name on it, uh, if there's still reconciliation conversations occurring. Um, I huddled up with Senator McConnell. I said you know, that I respectfully intended to continue to advocate for important national security, national economic security strategy. He understood. So I kept making the argument. Uh, and then as the Democrats um, fell short on, on, on the reconciliation, we received leave to work on a narrow piece of it, the CHIPS piece. I advocated to bring in national security folks because I thought the national security argument had been uh, underweighted and, and was highly unappreciated. So I worked with Senator Cantwell and, and Gina Raimondo, the Secretary of Commerce. We were able to bring in some national security luminaries who could speak with authority to this matter. And, and we had almost perfect attendance from uh, U.S. senators on both sides of the aisle for that secured briefing, which was really encouraging. And that gave us a lot of momentum and, and it looked like we were headed for a chips only vote. I approached Senator McConnell and I said, listen, we were just a couple of days from closing out negotiations on the commerce-related provisions. Those are the endless frontier provisions, basically, which are is the designation of federal tech hubs. Indiana is poised, if we play our cards right, I think, to receive one of those. And the uh, significant federal investment in, in 21st century uh, tech research through our research universities like Purdue and Notre Dame and Rose Holman, IU, many others. 
um, and some other stuff, workforce development stuff. So um, Schumer said, listen, we need a win, basically. We need a win. I, I'm confident I can get it around chips. You need to prove to me that we have it for this other stuff. Um, I said, well, how do I prove it? He said, give me 20 Republicans. I said, listen, I don't know if I can get you 20. I mean, we got maybe six or seven that I can tell you are yes right now. Um, he said, all right, give me 15. Okay. So I got to work over the course of like a 48-hour period. I enlisted the help of Kirsten Sinema, uh, my Democrat colleague, who also has good relationships on the, on, on the Senate side. And, and uh, we got to work, text messages, phone calls, uh, mobilizing staff, uh, identifying people on the outside, you know, calling them personally, uh, who we thought might have some sway with our friends and colleagues on the inside and be able to make the case that we hadn't or couldn't make. We had some traction, but we felt like we needed an in-person meeting. Sometimes that's very helpful. Uh, so we called an in-person meeting. We had about 24 hours left at this point, got a bipartisan meeting about 20 plus centers who tend to be a part of these uh, big deals. We'll take arguments seriously and, and are prepared to make hard arguments to our constituents uh, for the good of the country. And we got a warm reception. Uh, we, it was clear coming out of that that we probably were at uh, 11 or 12 votes and we had a little bit of work to do. Um, so we resolved to all work together coming out of that meeting. And before you know it, by lunchtime the next day, things either come together in lunches or really the wheels fall off because a bit of groupthink uh, can can encroach upon good policy making, and and uh, my goal was to have 15 votes in hand by lunch. Right before lunchtime, I got my I don't know 15th or 16th vote, and and I approached Senator Schumer because my strategy wasn't to leave it to some the the whims of, of uh, and vicissitudes of of lunch. Uh, I reported to people that we had the votes, that we would be voting. And this is, to some will be boring, but it's actually quite important. Senator Schumer said, this 60 vote threshold is not to end debate on chips. It will be perceived, and he made this comment on the Senate floor, if you vote yes, you are for a chips plus, chips plus the endless frontier work product. Vote no if you're just for chips or, or don't like the whole thing. We got 60 plus votes. He knew we had the votes for the larger product. Essentially at that point, as long as we kept our yeses, yes, it was game, set, and match. So that's how it all played out. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.